You're listening to audio from the Village Church, a community that's formed by the gospel and sent on God's mission, gathering weekly in the heart of downtown Hamilton, Ohio. For more information about the village or to connect with us, you can find us online at myvillagechurch.com. Let me pray. Would you pray with me? Father, what a heavy word of judgment. Would you let us feel the weight of it um, for all the, the people who have gone before us and, and for us in this room today? Would you bring it to bear rightly? Would you let us see you for who you are and us for who we are and, and the offer of grace that's before us? God, we, we need you. Come because of sin, but today would you remind us of the hope that is in you alone. Holy Spirit, would you move hearts, open eyes in ways that no words of my mouth can do. Jesus, would you seek and save today? And God, would you receive all the glory from our life today and forever in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, you don't have to look far to find injustice in this world. You don't have to look far to find injustice in this country. You don't have to look far to find injustice in this city. And then it, it, it gets personal and difficult, but you don't have to look far to find injustice in your neighborhood. And you don't have to look far to find injustice in your home. And, and if we're being honest, we don't have to look far to find injustice in our own heart. And we all respond differently to the broken parts of life and community and, and society. And, and some, I know, I know people like this, and certainly there are people in this room like this. Some are crippled by the weight, uh, and, and so there's incessant scrolling and, and bearing the weight of every voiceless child and every battered woman and every empty man that they see. And I know others, they take all of the things inside of them and, and they turn to rage or frustration and, and it's just constant perpetual complaining and in them peace cannot be found. And others, they do something entirely different and they just they, they, they just block it out altogether, and they, they change the channel, and they look the other way, and they go about their day because they just can't look at all of the broken parts. No doubt you respond in, in one way, right? And, and maybe it's somewhere in between that paradigm, or maybe it's another way altogether. But, but for those who live as if we are all merely just products of some, uh, some chance over bajillions of years, Right? And, and we all exist here as we are because of some you know, evolutionary adaptation. For, for those who find themselves there, we can easily find the lines that get us here. Like, like the idea of, of survival of the fittest, it puts self above all. That's what it does. All right? and, and so an and unjust society is really just the natural end to a self-centered world. That's what it, that's what it does. But for those who are in Christ, for those who live in light of a whole divine 
purpose, the author of good, the embodiment of love and justice, it seems a bit of a tough sell to open our eyes and see so much bad and so little good. To be fair, this isn't doomsday today, right? There is good among us, right? There, there's stuff that you can see if you would open your eyes, right? Everyone around you is not the enemy, right? And so, so if you open your eyes, you can see good stuff, slivers of, of heaven breaking through around us, right? In community, but, but the reality is, in the world that we live, the bad is just really, really loud. We all long for justice. The idea of justice is, is get what you deserve, right? And we can talk about it a thousand ways, but, but if, we, if we just look at that, we, we all long for that, and we may determine our own scales of justice, we all do right? Um, and we may apply uh, justice with a, with a bias that benefits self. We all do. We all do that. But even despite uh, our imperfect, you know, uh, justice system around us, we sense a nearly global desire for justice. And God helps us even today through his word he helps us understand, and he does that by showing his perfect, uh, perfect character throughout the ages, how he too delights in injustice on a scale that we can't comprehend. And not only does he bring just judgment in, in personal and local and city and national jurisdiction, but he brings complete cosmic justice to all who live outside of his perfect design. So we find ourselves today, the big idea is, is judgment will come because of sin, but there is hope. Zephaniah, I know you guys have been uh, wading in the waters of Zephaniah for a long time, haven't you? Um, right? Um, it's not just love. It's just love, and that, that changes everything about this word and, and kind of where we're going um, what we do, and you may say, why are we talking about Zephaniah? Because, like, aren't we talking, I mean, like, uh, don't you just tell us, like, the teaching of, of Jesus and, like, tell us all the good things and, and teach us how to love better, right? But, but what we get to do when we gather together is we sing and we pray as one in Christ. We gather together to be built up, that we might be equipped and sent out as, as bold and faithful missionaries in this world. But in this time, we get to sit under God's word together, myself included, and we do that so that we might grow in grace and knowledge of Jesus and so that we might know and trust and treasure the fullness of God above everything else in this world. And, and if, if, we, if we believe that all of God's word is from him, that includes Zephaniah today, all right? So we're going to take a month and we're just walking through this, uh, and it starts like this, the word of the Lord that came to Zephaniah, the son of Cushi, son of uh, Gedaliah, son of Amariah, son of Hezekiah in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah. And what we always say when we see this is like child names. There's some, right? Uh, if you're looking. So, so what does this tell us? Because really it tells us everything. Uh, and we don't know who these people are, but, but people do. And so they help us. What do we know? We know the time. Uh, 
check this slide out, all right? And it's got, it's, we're going to do a bit of a history lesson here, right? So uh, this is really helpful for you to navigate Exodus, God's people saved from Egypt, 13th century B.C., 1300 plus-ish uh, around there, okay? Um, it took a while for, for God's people to be established, and so you have like the Samuels where you have, hey, we want a king, and God says, you already got a king, and they're like, yeah, we want a king like the other nations, and they're like, here's Saul, Saul's no good. The second king is called David, all right? And so under David, uh, Israel unites, and there are these 12 tribes of Israel. That happens uh, about 975, uh, that happens about 1006 B.C., but by 975, the unity is kind of, is, is undone, all right? And, and it kind of happens over, the, uh, over a, a, few cent, or a few decades, but what essentially happens is Israel, the one nation, is divided into two kingdoms, and this is really, really important. The northern kingdom is Israel, and the southern kingdom is Judah. Well done. Right? We don't even have Sunday school around here. How do you know this? Right? <laughs> Top uh, Israel is ten tribes. The south is, is just two tribes. But they have Jerusalem as their capital. So, like, you know, do with that what you will. So uh, that happened by, by 975. So pretty quickly, turmoil happens. And, it, and if you're reading along, it's, it's literally like watching Desperate, Desperate Housewives, except for it's kings of, of Israel. I mean, it is brutal. I mean, they, they're just, no one can get along, and it's really tough. So the northern kingdom, by 722 B.C. or B.C.E., however you like it, uh, the Assyrians, they're bad dudes. They show up, and they just, they just wreck house, and they destroy uh, Israel, the northern kingdom. They're gone, right? Exiled, cast away, uh, whatever. Uh, and so you have the two little tribes of the southern kingdom and Jerusalem existing for another, what, 150 years. And then finally you have the Babylonians coming, and they wreck house, and they're tough, and they're bad dudes. And then they only last about uh, 50 years. And then the Persians come. And when the Persians come and they just wreck house, they actually let God's people go and worship their own God. And so when you see uh, uh, Ezra or uh, I think Haggai, um, Nehemiah, you begin to see the, the reconstruction of God's people. That's after 539 when uh, the Persians come over, they take over, but they kind of let them reassemble, all right? Does that make sense? This is really important. When you look at a date in the Bible, when you're reading the Old Testament, these dates are really helpful. Um, so what we see, though, is, is Zephaniah is about 640 to 609 BCE. So it's after Israel is wiped off the earth, uh, the northern kingdom, that is, but it's not yet happened that the southern kingdom would happen that way. And, and so he's bringing judgment upon the southern kingdom, uh, Judah, uh, and, and the capital city, Jerusalem. That's, that's where we find his ministry. And so he's, he's warning them of what's going to happen. So it says he's under uh, uh, Josiah's reign. And Josiah was actually a pretty decent king who, who led some reform to get rid of some idols and stuff like that. But it was almost as if it was, it was just too late and God's people were too far gone, even with the upward trend. So who was Zephaniah? Um, I think is colleagues called him Zeph or, or Zephi. I'm sure they did. Um, he was a prophet, which is pretty obvious, but, but what that means, he, he seems to have heard 
directly from God. Like he's, he's telling them the word of the Lord, right? God says this, and, and he is telling them what is true, and so it's authoritative. It's, he's God's prophet. He comes from a royal line, which is a little unique. That's distinct. Most prophets come from nowhere. They just say their name. Or, or they come from a line of prophets, but he comes from like a, a lineage, like he is of noble birth, right? Um, uh, whatever that means for us. But like so many uh, of the prophets, this isn't a narrative. It's not like we're, it's just captivating storytelling. And it's all, it is essentially a compilation of a series of sermons or judgments that he preached to the people around him. All right, so that's kind of what we're dealing with. Feel good about that, where we find ourselves? All right, let's go, all right? Uh, number one, judgment will come. Uh, it starts like this. I will utterly sweep away everything from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. That's his opener. And if you're thinking like, oh, okay, like sweep, broom, the porch, you get all the things off. Uh, no, this language is like, I'm going to decimate everything. There will be nothing left. That's the language that we see here. Uh, it's, it's a Halloween special, right? Um, because this is some dark stuff. And then he goes on. He says, every man and beast, uh, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea and the rubble with the wicked. And you may be saying like, man, I seem to like, I seem to remember a narrative that talks about these things. Like in the beginning of the Bible, God created everything and he created every man and beast and the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea. So what we see here is like emphatically the uncreation of these people. Like God built it up for his glory and they did not live for his glory. So he's tearing it down. And then he goes on, he says, I will stretch out my hand against Judah. And you know, oh, southern kingdom. All right. That's what you know. Uh, and against all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, D.C., right? Uh, to be clear, let us not uh, assume as we do this that, that we just interpose the United States and Judah and D.C. for Jerusalem. Let us not do that because when we look at this, Israel is God's people and Judah is God's people. So we're really kind of interposing the church at large in today's context Although, hey, I love our country, and, and I don't want it to be wiped off the face of the earth, to be clear. So, um, so uh, he, he goes off, he says, I, I'll cut off from the remnant of Baal, a false god who had a lot of uh, sway and, and worshipers uh, in, the, in the days of old. And the idolatrous priests, these people who facilitated the worship of false gods, they facilitated idol worship. And, and you know, God... He has this relationship with his people, and he says, it's me, and it's you, and it's no one else. And so when you hear Baal or priests that are facilitating the worship, they're helping God's people direct their worship towards Baal, that's no good. And those who have turned away from God, those who are no longer following him, those who do not seek him, lots of judgment, lots of destruction, Lots of justice being served. Like I said, we all want this. And we plead for this. And we get involved in, in civil engagement for this. And we join hashtag movements for this. And we pray that God would do justice. 
And, and we, we pray that he would show himself. And we pray that he would remove evil. We pray that he would give this world what it deserves. And yet, might begin to find this offensive and difficult. Zephaniah comes in hot, but his words are, are twofold. Rest assured and be warned. It looks like this. Rest assured, you who have been dealt with unjustly, rest assured, judgment is coming. Justice will be served. Find your rest in that truth. In the same word, be warned, judgment will come. You will not get away with living in a way that opposes God and his people. Rest assured, judgment will come. Be warned, judgment will come. And so he, he, he leads in a, a wide destruction of, of, uh, of, a wide destruction through his judgment. And it's very near destruction that hits close to home for the initial hearers of this. And it's one that hits close to home for us because the nature of God, he is for those who are his own. And he will bring judgment against those who oppose him and oppose his people. When we think about the prophets, we talk like this a lot, all right? It's, it's a mountain range, and you can read this, and you see a mountain, right? You see one mountain. But if, if, if you could get to the side of it, then you would see a whole range of mountains. And so Zephaniah doesn't know that we exist. And yet, in the provision of the Spirit, he warns us and he assures us in the same way. So for them it was, there is an impending judgment coming. Jerusalem will be destroyed. See, that those who oppose him, like it's bigger than just this mountain that's before them. It's, it's for us, for, for all of his people for all time. And it's difficult to say, was this like a local prophecy? Like, I don't know. But what we see is it's going back and forth. It's zooming in real tight. And it's zooming out into some universal reality and truth, right? God made promises to his people. And he is relentlessly devoted. When you look at this judgment, you say, how? What? This is what we have to understand. That, that God has made promises to his people and he is relentlessly devoted to seeing those promises through. And what his promise is, is that he will set apart a, a people for himself. And he will be their God, and they will be his people. This is the means to that end. So Zephaniah is, is painting a picture. He's like, he's, he's Bob Rossing this stuff, Right? It's one that the hearers would have seen as a familiar landscape. Well, the happy little trees, if you will. Uh, generations of entangling the ways of God and, and the one true God with all sorts of false gods. And so the, the language is, is that of adultery. That, that my own people have turned from me. That I've, I've joined a relationship with them and they are, they are pursuing other lovers. That's what idolatry is. It's, it's worshiping something else that's, that's not God, that's less 
than God. And so that's the language. They would get that. They saw the destruction of the north not even a generation removed. They know what, what God's judgment can mean for them. Now God's word is pressing against the same idolatry and, and with it the same judgment, only this time it's aimed at their own city gates. This wasn't just abstract for them. It was, it was real life here and now. And, and despite the efforts of King Josiah to turn things around, it seems that the people are far from the Lord. And, and so the picture Zephaniah paints is, is for all beyond the day that he spoke. Right? He, he paints a picture of God's priorities, his character, his nature, his response to wayward living, to his people breaking their covenant. So he stands against those who worship apart from him. And he cuts off those who straddle the fence of devotion to this world and the God who made this world. He sweeps up those interested in pursuing him. You guys okay? Take a drink. So we see like a, an A and B in this. One, we see that, that God's people aren't people of compromise. They can't be. He must be the center of, of our devotion and our life. There's not a biblical category for sort of devotion. Like, from old to new. From, from the God of the Old Testament to the, to the Jesus of the New Testament. There's never a, ah, I'm sort of in. So, we, so when you read through the Gospels, you see these interactions that are, that are people coming to a crossroads where they're like around. They're like in the room until Jesus says something so difficult that they say, I'm out. And, and every single time that happens, he says, you must eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. And they're like, I'm out. And he was telling them something bigger than in the moment. When he says to the rich young man, sell all you got and give it to the poor. And then, hey, then like we'll do this. Then show up on Monday and, and we can talk. All right? And you see those moments. And these people walk away. And do you see, what, do you see Jesus run after him and say, no, no, no. It's not what I meant. No, like, I need you around. He, he doesn't do that. Because there's no room for sort of in our walk, in our pursuit of the things of God, in our walk with God. There's, there's no room for sort of. And then the second thing that we see is, is deconstruction of, of faith. It, it isn't a sexy movement. It's damning. Look, I'm sure we all have some less than desirable baggage regarding our spiritual journey. That's true for me. And wherever you find yourself today, I, I'm sure that it's true for you. And I know that there are prominent men and women who are making uh, waves and influence and money by publicly deconstructing their own faith. 
And, and some of those, and, and, and maybe some of y'all, have experienced spiritual abuse, uh, maybe even sexual or physical or financial abuse from spiritual leaders or parents who have, have played the part well in public, but who look more like evil in private. And, and, and there is no excuse for it. There is no whitewashing. There's no covering it up. There's no amount of Febreze, right, to reduce the stench of damage inflicted. Churches and leaders who claim the God who shines light in darkness have no justification for protecting abusers. None. Brokenness and harm of, of this nature, it must be exposed and it must be brought to the authorities uh, and it must be opposed by, by the church and it must be, uh, the, and it must be brought about in, in a way that that exposure might take churches down. And hear me, I'm okay with that. It, it might take prominent leaders down I'm okay with that. It might take parents out of homes. I'm okay with that. By all means, in those situations that are unsafe and terrible, let light shine bright. Let justice be done on earth as it is in heaven. We worship a God who, it, who is light and who shines light in dark places. I acknowledge that, that, the, that those dark places might be cloaked by someone representing a form of godliness or someone who, who is a representative of the church, or, or like I said, prominent leaders or parents or, or whatever, and, 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 it, and it might take the form of someone who is entrusted in your care. So deconstructing terrible misrepresentations of God is good, just work. But to turn to lesser gods, or to turn our backs on God is to heap judgment. God's essence is justice and love. It's baked into who he is, right? His judgment is love for the victims of injustice and against those who oppose him. He is love and his love is just, which is why he says this, I will cut off those who have turned back from following the Lord, who do not seek the Lord or inquire of him. If you find yourself in a place that's running not from the broken parts of establishment or any but but running from the Lord. If you find yourself no longer asking uh, of God, no longer inquiring of him as you go about your day, as you build your life, you will be cut off. Rest assured, judgment will come. Be warned, judgment will come. Secondly, because of sin. 
Judgment will come because of sin. Let me read uh, verse 7. Be silent before the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is near. The Lord has prepared a sacrifice and consecrated his guests. This is, has to be the first time this was... This has been done so many times. It's literally, I would like to invite you over for dinner. And they get there. And there's an empty plate and a fork and a knife. And you say, what's for dinner? You are. You're for dinner. You're taken back to Abraham and, and Isaac, his son. Dad, we're here and we have the altar. Where's the... Dad, where's the sacrifice? God will provide, son. Be silent before the Lord, for the day of the Lord is near. The Lord has prepared a sacrifice and consecrated the guest. You're going to be devoured. That's the, the warning. Why? Because of sin. So what we see here is, is when we think about sin, you might think of a lot of different things, right? And I remember being... Uh, in, and like new in my faith and like sin was like not saying a, a bad word or whatever and like that's great don't say bad words but but as I always say I wish that was my problem sin is is falling short of God's righteousness and in the Bible just to be clear it says everyone falls short of the glory of God so there's no sinless among us Minus one, his name was Jesus. It, it's a wide range in how sin shows up, but, but the way I think about it, and in my prayer, the way I say, God, keep me from sin, it's this, keep me from living as if you aren't. God, would you, would you let me live as if you were? Would you let me live as if all the things that I know to be about you are true? Because when I live as if God isn't, then I'm living on my own as if I were my own God. The day of the Lord, it's like a prominent theme that we'll see over and over again in Zephaniah's ministry in, in this book. It's, it's presented in, in the rest of the book. It is a day of judgment and it is a day of hope, both in the same time, right? It is a day specifically relevant to God's people, but it's also significant for all the other nations around it is a day of historical fulfillment. There is lots of stuff in this day of the Lord, but it's also, it, it has uh, eschatological future relevance, right? There's expectation for it. It is the day when God will act in all his justice and righteousness and judgment and loving mercy. He alone is at the center of the stage and therefore it is his day. And what he says is this, as we work through this little section here, he says, I will punish I will punish the officials of king's sons. I will punish those in high places. You're not going to, uh, but do you know who my dad is? Out of this. He, he says, because of your mixing outside covenant community and you're marrying those who don't walk with God and you're living a life outside of the covenant of faith, you're living as if God doesn't exist. And then he goes on, verse 9, everyone who breaks in and steals stuff from the master's house, 
those who are violent and those who start fights and those who are frauds. And I know what you're thinking, like, oh, gosh. You're either thinking, hey, that's me because I'm a brawler. Or you're thinking, whew, I'm off the hook because I've never uh, had a breaking and entering charge against me. But then I just want to warn you, the next line is tough. I will punish those who are complacent. Those who say that the Lord will not do good. Uh, uh, Those who say the Lord will not do good, nor will he do ill. Those who say, eh, I don't know. Maybe he will, and maybe he won't. And this is the, the crazy thing. We're not living in the ancient Near East, in the 7th century BCE. I'm not. I assume you're not. But isn't this the song of the day? Complacency? And look, I know that, that there are uh, loud opposing voices. And I know what you would think is that everyone in our country and probably in the whole world like hates God with everything in them, and so therefore they hate you. But let me ask you this. Have you ever talked to humans? Because I, I know a lot of people. And I know that it's tough to be a Christian in today. I, I, I get that. But you ever talk to real humans? Because they, they have a lot less venom than, than media outlets would want you to believe. The masses, by and large, maybe I'm off on this. They're here, complacent in faith. They, they would probably say, maybe God will return, and maybe not. And they would probably say, maybe uh, Jesus reigns, and maybe not. And maybe he saves, and, and maybe not. And maybe he died for my sin, and maybe not. And, and maybe he'll judge the world, and maybe not. And maybe he'll judge me for my sin, and maybe not. I, I don't know. Those who are complacent. He goes on, he says, they'll be laid to waste, along with their homes and the work of their hands. All that they put their hands to will be plowed flat. They will reap no harvest from their investing in this life. Apart from God and his ways, they, will not get, they, they won't get to spend their retirement. And then we'll jump in here, start reading in verse 4. The great day of the Lord is near, near and hastening fast. The sound of the day of the Lord is bitter. The mighty man cries aloud there. You can't be a mighty man and cry. That's what we see. The mighty man cries aloud there. The day of wrath is that day, a day of distress and anguish, a day of ruin and devastation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet blasts and battle cry against the fortified cities. I will bring distress on mankind so that they shall walk like the blind because they have sinned against the Lord. It gets worse. Their blood shall be poured out like dust and their flesh like dung, like manure. Neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them on the day of wrath of the Lord. Right? That either means silver and gold of idol worship or literally, more appropriately in our context, no amount of money can save you. No amount of power, prestige, 
nothing that you have, no amount of righteous works, no amount of good deeds can save you. Nothing can save you from the wrath of the Lord on the day of the Lord. In the fire of his jealousy, all the earth shall be consumed. For a full and sudden in he will make of all the inhabitants of the earth. So you can feel here the desperation in Zephaniah's plea. You can hear the tension of the scene filling with fear for some. That judgment is against me. And, and more words on deaf ears for others. Just like this room. It's true for them in the moment. It's true for, for all over the long haul in the greater scheme of just love. He says, mark it down. Judgment will come because of sin. And we find ourselves in a bit of a dilemma conflict of interest. We plead for just judgment against broken systems and structures and persons and acts. Give them what they deserve. And at the, the very same time we find ourselves fit for the green mile of judgment, destruction, devastation, not because we've been falsely accused or convicted. One of my worst fears is that I would be falsely accused I have to spend 40 years in prison for something I didn't do. And even worse, that somebody would be saying, just take the plea deal. I can't. <laughs> There's no way I can confess to doing something that I didn't do. But that's not the issue here. Even worse, because we are indeed guilty of sin. Because we are indeed guilty of treason against God, we have found ourselves turning our backs on him. We've been found straddling our devotion between, between our love for this world and the God of this world. And we've established complacent roots that grow wild wherever the wind blows, and it makes no difference whether God is or he isn't or he will or he won't. But, there is hope. <clears throat> Number three, but there is hope. And this is what we see. He says, gather together. Yes, gather, O shameless nation, before the decree takes effect. <sighs> so all this time, it's a wrap. It's over. It's done. You're ruined. Before the day passes away like chaff. They, they, they deal with grain, and they shake it in baskets, and the good stuff stays there, and the other stuff kind of floats up because it's basically like dust. The wind takes it away. That's, that's what we'll be like, right? Before the day passes away like chaff, before there comes upon you the burning anger of the Lord, before there comes upon you the day of anger of the Lord, we, we, we see the same patience and warning in Second Peter. It goes like this. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So he's 
He's telling them, turn to me. And so he says, Zephaniah continues, what shall we do? Seek the Lord. All you humble of the land who do his just commands, seek righteousness, seek humility. Perhaps you may be hidden on the day of the anger of the Lord. God is just. He is perfectly patient. But that doesn't mean that he is forever patient. He's just. He can't be forever patient. This would have been received then just as it is today. Some eager to find and cling to hope. Some continue to be complacent, to go about their day. For them, immediate hope is, is repent and turn and, and, and fall wholly on the grace of God that we might be spared. And for us, over the long haul, seek the Lord, seek in humility, be poured out of self-hope, be poured out of self-assurance, be poured out of pride which opposes God, and we too may be spared in the day of judgment. This takes us to the right place, impending judgment against sin, the world's and ours. And our salvation from impending judgment against our sin is the only, it, it's only found in the gracious, hope-filled hands of our God. In the fullness of rescue, he doesn't leave us with blind hope, like the blind seeking about. He doesn't leave us with blind hope for peace and assurance. He seals the deal with a promise of definite judgment. Already on the cross, this has already happened. Or when you die, you will meet this end. Zephaniah tells of a God of judgment who seeks out the wicked in this super vivid, he says, I will search Jerusalem with lamps and I will punish the men who are complacent. None can hide. He is diligent in his pursuit of justice. Could, can you imagine, right? It's Halloween. I, I've, I've watched a few horror films in the last couple weeks, Right? And the same thing happens in all of them. There's a bad guy, and he comes, and then they run upstairs, and you know, all the things, and they get in a closet, and they're like, so, so there's some room for freedom, and then they find themselves trapped, and all they can do is just sit there and cry too loud. Please, just stop crying so loud. And he comes, and he's hacking through doors, and he finally gets there, and it's over or whatever. That's the fear. That, that's the nature. He, he's got a lamp, and you can hear the doors open down the hall, and you can hear the boots. Like, no one can hide. And we're not talking about some evil villain. We're talking about the creator of the universe who holds it together by his breath. But in the most dramatic M. Night Shyamalan-style plot twist the world has ever seen, God sends him not to seek those whom God might judge, but to seek those in the household of faith, those for whom Jesus might bear the entire weight of their sin and judgment. The Son of Man came to seek. Can you imagine the heart shift 
from hiding from the light as it goes and you're hidden in the corner to now seeking out the light that you might be saved. Can you imagine this? Being dead in your sins and broken. God, please don't judge me for who I am. And then can you imagine opening the closet and running out and saying, here I am. And not here I am, some false version of myself, but here I am, broken, a a rebel. I'm a wretch before you. Oh, wretch that I am. And that light, rather than bringing our end of judgment, invites us into eternal life with God and his people forever. That's our hope. Judgment will come because of sin, not hypothetical, not false accusation, full on, you are who you are, and yet there is hope that we might turn and and, and that we might seek the Lord. The response is the same for them as it was for us. Seek the Lord with a, a humble heart, confessing and trusting who we are and who we can be because of how great God is. And so what? I'll throw a slide up here. It has... Some stuff, you can take a picture of that. This is what we get to do in response, right? Consider the reality of judgment, the weight of our sin, and seek the Lord as our only hope. The band can come on up. Judgment will come because of sin, but there is hope. We get to respond. And remember that meal that we were invited to and that we became the the meal? We get to share in his broken body, his blood that was spilled for us, that is the thing that lets us sit at the table with God himself and with all of his people. This is for those who are in Christ. If you're not in Christ, this isn't for you, right? We get to respond. We can pray. There's a prayer bench. There's a tree over there. Someone would love to pray with you. You can sit right where you are. You can stand up and worship. Would you pray with me? God, thank you in a, in a world of darkness, that, that your judgment is against all who have gone before and all who, who will go ahead of us, who walk in a way that's not your way, who, who tear down your creation, who, who live for their own glory and not your own. And today we find ourselves in, in that company, and yet you show us hope. You show us a way out. You invite us into the fullness of life, and God, that you would, you would be the light, but you would, you would invite us into the light, and you would send us out as lights, offering the same hope to everyone that we would encounter today and until you come. We need you. We love you. Thank you for your love for us. In Jesus' name, amen.